Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Hello, friends. Pro-Life Leader Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life, here with our special program about the one-year anniversary since the Dobbs decision, the Supreme Court case that ended up overturning Roe versus Wade. I'm going to do this special program tonight live. I can take your questions, by the way. I can see them right here on my screen as you send them in. And uh, we're going to come live also at 9 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow night with uh, continued reflections on the same significance of this momentous turning point in the pro-life movement. That the biggest obstacle that was in our way to protecting unborn children by law has now been taken out of the way. Many people say that they were thinking it could never happen, at least not in their lifetimes. We were all hoping that we would see it, but we really shouldn't be surprised that it happened, and I'll tell you a little bit more why that's the case. SupremeCourtVictory.com is the key website to keep in mind, SupremeCourtVictory.com. We have all kinds of videos there, talks, interviews, articles, prayer campaigns, all sorts of things to help you to delve into, and of course, the text of the decision itself and the various other documents that went into it, especially the pro-life briefs. Use that website. Delve into this decision. We can't build on this victory until we first understand the victory. We can't move forward in the light of the Dobbs decision and unless we know what the Dobbs decision actually said, what it said and what it didn't say, what it did, what it didn't do, and why. That's all summarized there very, very clearly at SupremeCourtVictory.com. And you can also order a little booklet that I wrote about the overturn of Roe. And I analyzed the reasons that the court did it. The other side thinks that the court did it simply because the, the makeup of the court changed. Well, the makeup of the court changing is, of course, a key factor. But you know what you have to point out to people about that? Maybe the reason the makeup of the court brought about the uh, the change in the makeup of the court brought about the decision because finally the court had people who believed in the Constitution rather than imposing their own policy preferences into the Constitution. So it's not to disconnect it from the change that occurred on the court. Many voters voted for President Trump and before him, uh, the, I, mean, I worked hard on the elections uh, back, in, uh, back in 2000 and 2004 for George W. Bush. And uh, certainly many people were voting precisely because of the Supreme Court. They wanted to see a change because they wanted to see justices who would apply the Constitution and not be judicial activists. So it's not that it's disconnected from a change in the court, but the other side is only partly right because they don't see the constitutional arguments that Dobbs made. They don't see the damage that Roe did to the country. So they can say, oh, yeah, this decision came about because there was a change on the court. Change on the court was necessary for the decision to come about because apparently not enough justices before saw that, as Dobbs said, Roe had nothing to do with the Constitution. 
there is no constitutional right to abortion. We'll delve into some of these things. And again, I, uh, I am here uh, uh, seeing your questions. And um, let me see if, uh, okay, well, uh, let me just take some of these observations right now. Tim is saying, voting yes in Ohio on August 8th. Very important. And this builds on the um, victory we have in the Dobbs decision. And I'll explain why. But there is a special election in Ohio, August 8th. You vote yes on it. Those of you in Ohio, those of you that know people in Ohio, get them to vote yes on this. Why? Because the pro-abortion forces are trying to amend the state constitution to bring in abortion. So to make it harder to amend the Constitution, first of all, there should be a higher threshold to amend the Constitution, which is the basis of laws, than there is to pass the laws themselves. And in Ohio, it's only 50% plus one. That's too low a threshold in regard to any issue to amend the Constitution. Look how hard it is to amend our federal Constitution. It's a really steep hill. You have to have two-thirds of both houses of Congress and three-quarters of the states. That's not easy to achieve. That's a degree of consensus that's quite uh, significant. And uh, Suzanne is saying nobody stepped in to stop the slaughter of babies for over these 50 years. Yeah, many people, including those in government office, did not step in. The Democrat Party went way off the track early on in this battle. Uh, off the track, by which I mean supporting legal abortion. They didn't lift a finger. And in fact, they stood in the way of everything that the pro-life movement was trying to do. Many other people, though, sacrificed quite a bit and did quite a lot. As you know, uh, this victory came about thanks to the praying, the lobbying, the educating, the marching, the voting, the, the protesting, the pregnancy centers, the many, many works of the pro-life movement. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight uh, grateful for this victory over Roe versus Wade that is now just a year old in our country. Lord, we still have not fully absorbed the meaning of this moment. We ask you to help us absorb it, help us understand it, help us build on it, help us to rally our fellow citizens to utilize the new playing field that we've been given to utilize it for the protection of life, for the protection of freedom. We pray through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. It's a new playing field. The Dobbs decision didn't make abortion illegal. Now, a lot of people on the other side, and on our side too, uh, seem to think that it did or want people, and on the other side, some of them want people to think that it did so that they can gin them up into all kinds of anger and opposition. No. The Dobbs decision, the court did not say that the states or the Congress had to protect the unborn. Now, that is the point to which we need to get eventually. Because it's like, well, do you have to protect the freedom of speech, the freedom, freedom of religion? Uh, or the protection of life of any of us. Can you imagine a scenario? Well, let's start off with this. Where if you go into uh, the neighboring state, your life is not protected by the law. Can you just, and I mean, is that even, in, is that even thinkable? As unthinkable as that is, that's what we mean when we say we want abortion to become unthinkable. 
and by the way, I started using that phrase back in, uh, oh, 1989, 90. Abortion being unthinkable. Because you just wouldn't, I mean, oh, I'm going to go into... <laughs> I'm going to go into the neighboring state from wherever I live and, uh, you know, somebody could just take my life and there's no legal consequences. Life is such a fundamental right, it's the most fundamental right, that it's got to be protected everywhere. That's what it means, by the way, that it's a human right. It's not a geographical or circumstantial right. It's not an accidental right. What that means is it depends on circumstances, geography, uh, whether somebody else gives it to you or not, that's a circumstance. Accidental means it, 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 it happens because of changing circumstances. But fundamental human rights happen to you because you're human. Now, nobody can make you not human, and no matter how long you live, you're not going to transform into a different species. So human rights stick with you. In fact, they always stuck with you from the very moment you started being human. Human rights begin when human lives begin, and not one moment later. That's why all the unborn have to be protected. And that's also why it can't be dependent on geography any more than it's dependent on the decision of a court or a legislature. Your right to live is inherent in you. It's a human right. Now, the court in this case did not go so far as to affirm that. It allowed what we now have, a patchwork scenario, which we foresaw, where about half the states have some protections, some of the very significant protections for the unborn, and the other half don't. In that scenario, the day-by-day -day details of that will continue to change. We've got details uh, for you, a map on, uh, as many pro-life groups have done, let's put a map of the United States and see which states have which laws. So we've got that, too, over there at... Um, SupremeCourtVictory.com. But ultimately where we have to get is to the really common sense position that life is a human right and therefore it has to be protected always and everywhere. This decision, while it didn't go that far, nevertheless put into place a significant step, a necessary step to getting that far, namely to reverse the situation we had up to now, up to a year ago now, which said that there's a constitutional right to abortion. And think of it this way. What, it, what the court was saying was, you cannot protect the unborn. You can't. The reversal of that wasn't that you had to. The reversal of that was that you can. In other words, the court and the Constitution the Dobbs decision says, are neutral on this, let the people decide. Now, let the people decide means that the door is open to get to our goal of protecting them all. The court's not standing in the way of the dozen or so states that are protecting all the babies, or practically all of them. And the other states, the other dozen or so states that are protecting a, a good number of them. Court doesn't, you notice the court hasn't struck down those laws. Court's not standing in the way. Now, some of the lower courts, let's talk about this for a moment, are, are trying to stand in the way. But the fact is that being the door is open now, that we can protect these babies and the court's not going to stand in our way, that means it's time to work harder. It's not time to walk off the field and say, oh, abortion's not an issue anymore. 
We won. No, no such thing. We didn't achieve the goal. We achieved a goal. It's a milestone victory. But we didn't achieve the goal. We didn't get the protection. Now we, we got the play. We got the level playing field because the other side was playing with a big advantage. Oh, the Constitution has a right to abortion. If the Constitution has a right to abortion, you can't pass a law taking that right away. That was the problem. That's why the court kept striking down laws that protected the unborn on no other basis than, oh, it's a constitutional right. And that was on no other basis than Roe said so. And Casey, who came along about 20 years later and reaffirmed the so-called right to abortion, but it never existed. It never existed constitutionally or in the history of the country. And much of what the Dobbs decision said simply unpacked the fact that it was never there. Some of the lower courts in the time since Dobbs came down, June 24th of last year, have tried to block pro-life laws. This is where you are going to see the victory that is the Dobbs decision unfolding and expanding as time goes on. It's not just a static thing. It's not a once and done kind of thing. It's not simply a declaration and that's as far as it goes. This is an evolving victory, an unfolding victory. What do I mean? Dobbs is not just about looking back at Roe and getting rid of it. Dobbs, any, and any Supreme Court decision for that matter, is about looking forward and influencing what's going to be done then. Why? Because it's precedent now. That's a key thing to understand about how all this works. The Dobbs decision is now the governing precedent anytime any court in America addresses abortion. And this is what some of the lower courts have not yet fully absorbed. Some of them have. And we've had instances of lower courts saying, you know what, we're going to have to reconsider certain decisions we made in the past if the case comes before us, because courts are not proactive, they're reactive. They, they, they address disputes that are brought before them. They don't just go, can't go out there, or they shouldn't anyway, go out there on their own. Say, hey, let's change public policy, you know, let's change this, fix this and fix that problem. That's not what the courts do. The courts have a, have a passive role whereby citizens come to them. Hey, we have a dispute. Judge this dispute. And they only have the power of judgment. Judge this dispute. You know, this law was passed. It's infringing on my rights. And the other person says, maybe it's the one person who passed the law. No, no, it doesn't infringe on your rights. You got a, a dispute there. The court can only judge. That's why the people who are on the courts are called judges. They judge the dispute. They say, okay, this, this uh, uh, law is constitutional. This law is not constitutional. But then they can't rewrite the law. The legislature has to do that. The court then has to look over to the legislature and say, hey, we judged that uh, this law is causing somebody some harm, so you guys have to go fix it. You guys have to go fix it. What some of the lower courts are doing is they're still acting as if Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey our precedent. And in a sense, you can't blame them. They're a force of habit. For 50 years, in every courtroom, in every legislative assembly, in every scholarly and academic forum where abortion was discussed and its constitutionality evaluated, Roe in, in 1973 and then Casey 1992 
were precedent. They governed. Now, to have them suddenly just obliterated, and, and I say obliterated deliberately, they weren't changed in some kind of nuanced way or, or, or in some kind of, uh, by some kind of inference or indirect method. They were blown out of the water, completely erased from the judicial landscape. The court in Dobbs did a really, really strong obliteration of these decisions. But that unfolds gradually as it, you might say it's 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 well it's more of a more than a trickle down it's a, it's a waterfall now coming down, and the lower courts have to have to readjust their thinking, you know it's been it's been ingrained as you go back to Roe and Casey as a right to abortion as a right to abortion no more, because it wasn't there in the first place, there was no basis for it, so now when the legislature passes the law see what the court did in Dobbs. It gave forward-looking instructions to the other courts. It set a new standard for the future work to be done. That's why I say the victory of Dobbs is, is an unfolding victory. It's, it's, still, it's, still got, uh, it's still got a lot to, 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 uh, to show us. Because what it's saying to the courts now is this. If there's a law that the legislature passes, whether it's the state legislature, whether it's Congress, a dispute comes before you about the constitutionality of a law, and that law is prohibiting abortion slash protecting the unborn. You see, we speak, uh, prefer to speak in terms of protective law rather than restrictive, of protecting the babies rather than banning abortion. If such a law comes before you, the Supreme Court is saying to the lower courts, it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not, and it doesn't matter whether it's banning abortion or not. What matters is, is it reasonable? Is it reasonably advancing a legitimate interest of the state? Well, protecting the unborn is a legitimate interest of the state, the court has acknowledged. And if there's a rational basis, rational basis doesn't mean you agree with it. Rational basis means it stands to reason that this interest of the state is being advanced by this law, protection of the unborn, protection of the mother, from the harmful effects of abortion, protection uh, uh, of the medical profession, from being a barbaric, uh, out-of-control entity when it does abortions. So you have to give deference to the judgment of the legislature. This is, this is an important principle. Dobbs is telling the courts, moving forward here, don't, don't try to second-guess if... A state comes, a state of Ohio passes a law protecting the unborn. Don't go in there and try, think, try to think you know better than the legislators in Ohio who have had hearings, who have heard witnesses, who have had debates, who have heard from their people, who have been lobbied by their people, who have worked through this law and perhaps amended it many times. Get, give, them some, give them some deference. And if they're reasonably advancing a legitimate interest of the state, hey, listen, that law pa passes constitutional muster. See, the way it was under Roe and Casey, you had what's called heightened scrutiny. In some cases, people tried to make it strict scrutiny, where you had to have not just a legitimate interest of the state, but a compelling state interest. In other words, of a much higher urgency and fundamental nature, a compelling state interest, 
that could not be advanced in any less restrictive way than the law in question. Well, see, that's a higher bar to reach if you're going to say that something is constitutional. If you're going to, if you're going to consider, as Roe tried to do, although subsequent Supreme Court decisions didn't quite keep it this high, but we know the folks on the other side of this issue want to consider abortion as a fundamental right, like your freedom of speech or freedom of religion. Fund, we have certain fundamental rights. Well, the government can't just come along and pass laws restricting those rights. It's heightened scrutiny when it comes, if a person says, hey, they're restricting my freedom of speech. Hey, they're restricting my freedom of religion. The court is going to look at that and the balance of favor is going to be on, on your side when it looks at a law that was restricting one of your fundamental rights. The court is going to tend to defer to you. And it's going to say to the state, you've got a steep hill to climb in justifying restricting his fundamental right. But what the Dobbs decision said did was it brought abortion down a few notches. It said it's not a constitutional right. It's something that, well, if the people want to make it legal, they can make it legal. But it's not on the level of a constitutional right. It's the only medical procedure, by the way, that was ever given that status of a constitutional right for no apparent reason. But what the Dobbs decision did was it brought it in this whole calculus of disputes, because remember, that's what courts do. They judge disputes. What the Dobbs decision did was it brought it down a few notches and it put the presumption back in favor of the law that the state would pass because it looks at the humanity of the baby and says, hey, this, this is one of us. We've got to protect them. Or it looks at the harm abortion does to women and say, hey, we've got to protect them from this harm. So what Dobbs is doing, it's saying, give, give, give the benefit of the doubt, give the deference to the legislature. Not to those who want to claim a right to abortion. So very, very uh, uh, positive step uh, moving forward. Hey, Donald, I see you. Uh, thank Father Frank, uh, look uh, great on uh, Newsmax.com. I was just on Newsmax just before doing these two live programs tonight. I uh, had a Newsmax interview at about 7, 7.40 tonight and then uh, did my 8 o'clock program, now doing my 9 o'clock program. Uh, and uh, but thank you. I'm glad you saw it on there. And Newsmax reaching a bigger and bigger audience these days. And uh, let's see here. Uh, give, give some more of these comments here. Uh, Yuka, thank you. The principle is that life has its intrinsic value from the beginning within. Therefore, all lives shall be protected everywhere at all the time. That is the point to which we must get in the law and in our jurisprudence in America, and everywhere throughout the world. Intrinsic. Now, that's like what I was saying before about a human right. It's intrinsic. In other words, you have it as long as you are human. No one can take away your humanity. You can't take it away from yourself. You can't just become a different species. Although some people seem to think that's the case these days. You know, I'm, going to identify, I'm a man, but I'm going to identify as a woman. I'm a woman, but I'm going to identify as a cat. You know, it, it's like, you know, this is just craziness. But yes, the intrinsic value means somebody else doesn't give it to you. Nor can somebody else take it away. It's there. Oh, let's see here. Suzanne is saying, well, they go out on their own and throw the entire 
construction out or constitution out. Yeah, they do. We got people in this country that no longer believe that the constitution has any value. And yet we're the only country, the only country in the world today still operating under its original constitution. That says something about the greatness, the wisdom, the strength of that document. It really says a lot about that. Um, Teresa, good, uh, good suggestion here. The abortion pill is being pushed and pushed. Can we do a rosary for this specifically with you? Yes, we'll, we'll plan a prayer broadcast uh, on this because it's, it's, it's not only killing more and more people, these chemical methods of abortion, but it does even more damage to the mother than the surgical abortions do. And you know, it, it brings more grief and guilt and, 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 and brings it quicker. We know that because uh, I, I head up uh, as pastoral director and pastoral director of the Silent No More campaign, Anne of Rachel's Vineyard, largest abortion healing ministry in the world. And we see the grief and the pain of those who are um, having these chemical abortions. They're coming to us quicker because they saw the baby. They're coming to us sooner because they did the act. You know, go for a surgical abortion, you're passive. The abortionist is going in there killing the baby. You'll feel guilty, but you'll feel angry at the abortionist for killing the baby. Now that anger can't be displaced on the abortionist anymore. You have it towards yourself. People don't realize um, how bad this is. Suzanne is saying, it's beyond my understanding that human beings can't understand the horror of this bloodthirsty campaign against the most innocent. It is hard to understand, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, Scripture talks about a hardening of the heart that takes the form of losing natural affection. There's a couple of Scripture verses Paul is speaking about what can happen to people when they lose natural affection. That's what, that's what abortion is. There's a natural bond there. There's a natural attraction. There's a natural affinity that is being strangely um, lost. Strangely lost. Here's what Dobbs does. It enables us to recover it by making the case without the arguments that you and I bring forth being shut down automatically by somebody invoking a constitutional right to abortion. I spoke a few moments ago about how in the dynamics of jurisprudence, you have a different standard now for laws that protect the unborn. Well, in the dynamic of arguing and debating about the issue, you also have a different dynamic going on because the idea, the fake idea, that there's a constitutional right to an abortion ends up shutting down argument. This happened in the Dobbs case itself when it was in the lower courts. You know, these cases don't start in the Supreme Court. They start in the district court. They go up to the appellate court, the circuit courts, as they're called. And then they go to the Supreme Court if the Supreme Court accepts them. What happened in the lower court in this case? It was a judgment against the law, against the law that the Mississippi legislators had passed. We honored them, by the way, at our prayer service uh, 
year ago, January. It went against them because they said, uh, it said, well, you know, you're, 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 you're banning abortion prior to viability. And Roe and Casey said, you can't do that. Unconstitutional. And there was just a summary judgment. In other words, they didn't take into account what the lawmakers took into account. You see, you see how differently the courts function than from the lawmakers. They were bringing forward the arguments, the lawmakers were. We have evidence that these babies feel pain. The Mississippi law protected the baby starting at 15 weeks. Now, Dobbs did not just uphold that law. Dobbs upheld that law because it said, well, any law restricting abortion uh, 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 should be able to be upheld. There's no constitutional barrier to that. But the legislators were focused on the arguments and the evidence. The court lower district court there in southern Mississippi didn't even want to hear the arguments because it said, oh, well, they were going on this dogma of a constitutional right to abortion. You see how it shuts down argument? Now, again, I'm talking about the courts and the legislatures, but I'm saying this happens in between two ordinary citizens talking about abortion. Oh, but it's a constitutional right. Yeah, but look, it's a baby. Oh, but it's a constitutional right. Yeah, but look, it feels causes pain to the baby. Oh, but it's a constitutional right. But look, it does harm to the mother. You see, you keep hitting up against a brick wall. Dobbs took the wall away. And this is the new moment that we're in. Final point. I don't want to go too long tonight. I'll be back live again tomorrow night. And uh, if you have more questions, uh, go ahead and add them in. Um, Final point is this. We've got this battle going on in Ohio. We've even got this battle now introduced here in Florida where we are at Priests for Life with uh, the pro-abortion people trying to put in a constitutional amendment protecting abortion. Now, you know, they're trying to reassert the same empty, fake lie that Roe v. Wade was and Planned Parenthood versus Casey that there is somehow a relationship between the Constitution, and they're talking about the state constitutions, Roe was talking about the federal, but that there's some relationship between any Constitution and the so-called right to abortion. The very same, when, when Dobbs looked at the history of the United States, the history of the courts, the history of the laws, it could not find a right to abortion ever asserted in American history up until the time in the 70s that Roe, or late 60s that Roe v. Wade came on the scene, when it was passed in 73. It wasn't there. It's a very big part of, the, of the, what the Dobbs decision says is simply, it's not there. The so-called right to abortion, it's not there. It's not there in the text of the Constitution, and it's not there in the history, and the reason the history is important is that if somebody asserts, and this is what the, the abortion people had to do, that yes, admittedly, the word isn't in the Constitution, but the right is there because of other words that are there. Well, you have to be careful about that because otherwise you could be inserting just the policy preferences of the, of the justices or the political uh, pressure being put on them. And Dobbs said, no, you've got to look at the history. It can't just be these nine men and women sitting here right now saying that this is what liberty means. 
This is what equality means. Well, it show us that that's what it has meant to Americans down through their history. That's the challenge of Dobbs to Roe. Show us that it has meant that. Don't just tell us what's in your mind. Don't just tell us your preferences. That's not supposed to matter for a judge. That's not supposed to matter for a court. A court is not a legislature. In the legislature, the opinion of the legislators does matter. Because they're supposed to be representing the people and we're setting our own policy. But not in a court. So when Dobbs looked at the history and said, has this been what the American people have thought, that part of privacy is abortion, that part of liberty is abortion? Well, they said, well, certainly we believe in privacy and liberty. Privacy, you, you want to educate your children in a public school, a private school, a religious school, a home school. You can educate your children the way you want. You can let them learn whatever language uh, you want them to learn. Um, you can marry who you want to marry or not marry at all. Privacy is, is everywhere. We, 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 we have all kinds of rights of privacy. But here's the distinction that the Dobbs case made when it came to abortion. A, the right to privacy has never been invoked for abortion. And B, the reason why abortion is different from all these other things that you can do under the rubric of privacy is that only abortion ends another life. Now, it's not defining what that life is. It's not uh, saying that people don't have different ideas about the value of that life. Obviously, they do. But the court was honest enough to say, oh, wait a second. Abortion's unique. And as a matter of fact, even the Supreme Court had already acknowledged this. Had already acknowledged this, that abortion is different came down on the wrong side, saying there was a constitutional right to do it, but it at least acknowledges different from what school I'm going to send my children to. Nobody's ending a life when they're making a decision whom to marry. You, you, you know, privacy doesn't have to do with ending someone else's life. And so Dobbs said, we've never seen this before. Roe came along and invented it out of the blue. Well, that's one of the reasons now we've corrected this error. We shouldn't be surprised that Roe v. Wade fell. We should be surprised that it took so long. Because it wasn't based on anything. All right, I'll stop there. Thank you for your participation. Much love from Texas. Donald is saying, yes, I look forward. I'm going to be going back to Texas. I'm going to go um, be going to San Antonio in um, September. Just so you know, I don't know where in Texas uh, you are. Phyllis is making an interesting point. Uh, oh, hold on, wrong comment here. Hey, Michael. Um, the leaker. How can they not prosecute the Supreme Court leaker? This was illegal and we have the right to know. Yeah, you know what that leak did? It gave the pro-abortion people time to prepare their radical response to the uh, to the Dobbs decision. They went crazy. We knew they would go crazy. But totally unjustified, the violence that they did against churches and pregnancy centers and pro-life offices. But we still don't know who the leaker was. In fact, this, the court issued a, a report. Yes, I'm sorry, we couldn't find her. Couldn't find him. Some people speculate 
that it was one of the left-wing justices. Listen, nothing would surprise me when it comes to abortion. When it comes to abortion, all the rules change all the time. We call it the abortion distortion. We've seen that throughout these 50 years of this battle. Nothing would surprise me. We don't know, but we simply don't know. Yes, they should be found. Yes, I mean, it's not, the level of criminality is not what we might think it should be, but it's certainly uh, highly inappropriate and there should be certainly uh, some punishment given. Uh, We'll see. Time will tell if we ever find out who that person was. Let's pray, friends, as we conclude here. Thank you, Father, for this victory. Thank you for the reversal of Roe v. Wade and some of the implications of that and the reasons for that as we've been discussing here and the new opportunity it opens up for us, Lord, a new playing field, a more level playing field against the forces of darkness and the culture of death. Let's not miss this opportunity, Lord. Enable your people to rise up to this opportunity, Lord. May we rise up. May we defend the most defenseless. Bless those legislators who are working hard to pass laws that will increase this protection. And Lord, stop in their tracks those who are trying to reinsert, reimpose on our constitutions in America this fake and destructive so-called right to abortion. Stop them. May we do what we need to do to defend our constitutions, to defend our freedom, to defend the unborn. We pray now as Jesus taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. At FR Frank Pavone is where I am on social media. Thank you, friends. Oh, you know, I got um, uh, the uh, permission today to tell you uh, that this book that's coming out, Legacy of Life, is coming out on Monday. It's a beautiful table, a coffee table, hardcover uh, book, a history of these 50 years of fighting against Roe v. Wade, as illustrated in the life and work of 50 pro-life leaders who helped bring about an end to Roe v. Wade. If you go to legacyoflifebook.com, you can order it. And uh, I'm happy to tell you that not only I, but but also one of our other Priests for Life team members, uh, Brian Kemper, is uh, in that book as one of the, the leaders being highlighted. So two members, not just one, but two members of our Priest for Life team. And of course, all of them are deserving of this. You know the various members of our team. But it's going to be a beautiful book. Uh, You can order it now, legacyoflifebook.com. And uh, very grateful to the people who put this book together uh, to be able to to, uh, uh, honor me and so many other leaders who some of them called home to the by the Lord, uh, people like John Paul II and Cardinal O'Connor and Mother Teresa, all of whom I knew very well and who helped set me on the course of doing this work. Cardinal O'Connor warned me, by the way, be careful. I get back. He said he, here, a cardinal of the church, 
He was in charge of the pro-life committee for a while. He says, I get backlash from some of the bishops. Cardinal O'Connor told me this. I get backlash because of my focus on abortion. He said, if I as a cardinal get backlash, be prepared for what you're going to get. How right he was, and yet how right we all are. And that's why we can have peace of mind while our enemies swirl down into oblivion and despair. That's the, that's the path they've chosen for themselves. Bye, guys. Have fun. That's what happens to those who oppose those of us that are trying to do some good in the world. I thank you for doing it. But check out that book, Legacy of Life, and uh, we'll have more to say about it. Maybe we'll do a special program with some of the people that are featured in that book. God bless you, friends. Thank you very much. And um, we will be back live again tomorrow, both at the 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. time slots. Scripture reflection, of course, in the morning, 10 a.m. Bring other people to our online broadcast. Follow me at FR Frank Pavone on all the social media platforms. And please donate to our work. Finally, ProLifeGift.org. I invite you to go there. Support our work. Help us to continue to do this. We're not slowing down. We're not losing any energy. We just need the finances to keep doing it. ProLifeGift.org. Thanks, friends. We will talk to you very soon. Now I'm going to let you see, let's see if what we have here, what do we have here for a, see, I see your comments and I can also show you some spots of different types here. Oh yes, let's look at something for Silent No More, a big part of our work, as you know. We'll see you tomorrow. Powerful new voices are arising in the debate over abortion. The voices of those who have actually experienced it. From coast to coast, women and men who have lost children to abortion are speaking out about its pain and devastation and about the healing and forgiveness they have found through the pro-life movement. Their witness is changing hearts and minds. Former U.S. Senator Zell Miller writes, The most poignant sight for me at this year's annual pro-life march and demonstration in Washington, D.C., was the large number of women holding signs saying they regretted their abortions. Celebrity Kourtney Kardashian says, I looked online and I was sitting on the bed hysterically crying, reading these stories of people who felt so guilty from having an abortion. I was reading these things of how many people are traumatized by it afterwards. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.